If you're here for the first time or you're visiting with us today, you will have noticed that we've been uh, using this theme called Alongsiders. And um, thanks, Troy. We've taken this idea from a guy called Mick Duncan, uh, and he defined Alongsider as uh, someone uh, simply who comes alongside, who intentionally comes alongside another person for the purpose of being with them um, so that life might be better than if they were going it alone. So this friendship with intent um, is very much the intention of alongsiders. And uh, it's been a great theme together and we've covered all these topics that you'll see on the screen. We've said an alongsider opens the doors of his life to another person. Alongsider listens uh, graciously and intentionally to, to a person. Alongsider encourages intentionally. Alongsider enters someone else's world and their suffering and their pain. Uh, is prepared to confront someone's inconsistency, uh, the hard conversation sometimes. And last week, Toy talked to us about handling rejection, even betrayal. Uh, and sometimes in a relationship, those things are things that we have to, to deal with and face up to. And so today, uh, we are talking about serving and serving humbly. Uh, we've, t- we've called the topic uh, a bit more than that, the strength of serving another. And I was reading uh, this week about the story that I'm going to talk about today is in John chapter 13 and it's the story of the the washing of the disciples' feet, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And uh, it's a very uh, topical story for this time of the year um, because I believe in many traditions on what is called Maundy Thursday, which is this coming Thursday, uh, in some traditions they actually reenact this washing of the disciples' feet. Now, I always thought Maundy, I never had any idea what Maundy meant. Um, so that's this Thursday coming up. And uh, so I thought I'd better look it up. I thought it had something to do with mourning or something. But it actually uh, comes from some Latin word that has to do with mandate. And it's about Jesus actually giving his disciples a, a mandate, an example to follow. He says, here, I'm doing something for you, and, and this is an example to follow. And in terms of love, he says, uh, I've loved you in a certain way, and you need to love like I love. So that's where we're going. Um, we're using in this series, clearly, uh, Jesus as our exemplar or example and uh, apart from the talk that I did on encouragement which used Barnabas as an example every other talk we've had in this series has used Jesus as this supreme example and again he is today John chapter 13 it was just before the Passover festival Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the father Jesus knew. I want to say two things about what Jesus knew. First of all, I want to say that he knew what was ahead of him. In John's account of the life of Jesus, it's what we call John's Gospel we're looking at this morning, um, there's a number of remarkable passages, a series of passages where Jesus talks about his hour or his time. And most of the time he says, my hour or my time has not yet come. Um, But when the cross and the death of Jesus becomes a a more immediate prospect, Jesus says, the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And he speaks of it not as a tragedy, uh, but as a triumph, not as something that's going to be dishonouring, but something that's going to bring glory. Uh, And so here in chapter 13, as Jesus begins what we we call his farewell discourses, or his, his teaching of his disciples... Um, it says that he knew, he knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. He knew 
that that hour was going to involve betrayal and suffering and death and resurrection before he went to the Father. He knew all that lay ahead of him and he knew. He faced it. The other thing I want to say about what he knew is that um, he knew who he was. We talk a lot about identity, don't we? And it's important for us to understand who we are. Um, And for so many of us, our identity comes from uh, either the things we do or the job we do. And so if somebody asks us um, who we are, we define it in those terms. And Jesus was incredibly sure about his identity. I read, I read a story this week about identity, though. One uh, Christian leader was talking about his wife, and she apparently was a brilliant woman. Um, she had a PhD, and she'd had a very promising career. But when they had children, she chose to stay at home with her children, and uh, especially when they were very young. And her decision was one that she uh, wasn't bothered about at all. It was something that she really loved doing. But she was bothered when other women would ask her, um, what do you do? And if she answered, oh, I'm a homemaker, I... I look after my children and look after my husband, they'd usually respond with, oh, and uh, ignore her. And she was a little bit upset by that. And uh, so she thought, I'll, I'll work out a more sophisticated way of describing what I do. And uh, this is what she came up with. She said, I'm socialising two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition in order that they might be instruments for the transformation, transformation of the social order into the kind of eschatological utopia that God willed from the beginning of creation. <laughs> and I reckon that probably killed the conversation as well (laughs) but she knew who she was and you know when we think about Jesus this morning he absolutely knew who he was it says that the evening meal was in progress and Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and that he was returning to God Jesus doesn't lose sight of the fact. He doesn't lose sight of the fact that the highest possible place is his and it's his by right. Even knowing what Judas would do, what Troy talked about last week, even knowing that he would be betrayed and that he would die, John writes that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. It seems like an unlikely time to make a statement about the power and the authority and the sovereignty of Jesus in the light of his impending death. But John views the cross not as a defeat, uh, but as the place where God, in the person of Jesus, accomplishes something extraordinary and something glorious. And so Jesus had the place of honour and power, and yet he took the place of a servant. He could do that because he knew who he was. And it begs the question, doesn't it? Do do you know who you are? Do I know who I am? You see, followers of Jesus can be confident in who they are. And it frees them to take a lower place sometimes and to not feel used or inferior when God calls them to serve, sometimes in largely unnoticed and unspectacular ways. You know, we often sing a song at New Communion, it goes like this. In my father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. And God, I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And as I sing that, it's a healthy and a very necessary reminder to me that my identity 
if I choose to be a follower of Jesus, isn't bound up in what I achieve or how I look or how impressive I try to be in front of others, but it's rather bound up in the fact that I'm loved by God and nothing in all the world can separate me from his love. You see, Jesus knew what was ahead of him and he could face it with confidence because he knew who he was. The Father had put all things under his power. He'd come from God and he was returning from God, to God and so he could say... He could face all that he faced because he knew of who he was. Who he was, and, and I trust this morning as you sit here that you can say with confidence, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. You say, why is this important when we talk about, about serving one another, about alongside us, serving one another and serving others? I think it's important because it's from a place of knowing who we are that we can come alongside other people and genuinely love and serve, serve them. Jesus knew what was ahead. And he knew who he was. And then it says in, in the first verse as well, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now, I've got this old uh, new international version of the Bible in front of me here. I think it was first put out in 1978. And uh, in my uh, old version of it, it says in verse 1, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And I noticed in recent years that even the New International Version has changed it to say he loved them to the end. Now, I think both of those things are equally applicable. Jesus' love was a dogged love that loved and loved and loved to the very last, loved those who were close to him, loved the world to the end. But he also loved to the uttermost. He loved and he wanted to show his disciples the full extent of his love and the action that Jesus is about to perform in washing the feet of his disciples is like an enacted parable a parable of what was going to be accomplished at the cross and that's going to be our focus on Friday I hope you can come as we just revisit the stations of the cross but Jesus voluntarily in this act that we read about in John 13 voluntarily humbles himself he cleanses those he loves And he gives them an example of selfless service. And so the physical cleaning of the feet carried out in the shadow of the cross points forward to what Jesus is about to do at the cross, to die in order to offer cleansing from sin for all. John later on in one of his letters said, the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses from all sin. And so Jesus loves to the end and he loves to the uttermost and he now showed them the full extent of his love. And the clicker isn't working anymore. <laughs> there we go. Thanks, Nick. Is that you? <laughs> I might be relying on you, Nick. He loved to the end and he loved to the uttermost. John also says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's Jesus. That's the love that he has for us. Now, as we come to this story, foot washing, thanks, Nick. Foot washing in Jesus' time uh, was commonplace. The streets were dusty and people wore sandals. And as they travelled from place to place, their feet got very dirty. And so a good host would often provide water and a servant to wash his guests' feet. It was clearly an extremely lowly servant-slave type of task And now it's really interesting in this context that according to Luke at this time, maybe not at exactly the same time, but according to Luke at this time, 
a topic of discussion among the disciples, and Troy mentioned it during the, um, the dedication of Elijah, a topic of discussion among the disciples was who is the greatest. Luke chapter 22. They were arguing with each other about who deserved the highest rank. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and after that he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, this is in the middle of the meal. This is a deliberate act on the part of Jesus. It's not as if it's something that happened when everybody arrived. He's actually taking a moment and creating a teachable moment. Feet would have normally been washed when people arrived. So it's more than just a simple act of courtesy. It's a powerful, enacted lesson. He did what a servant would do, and he even did it for Judas. And I think that's amazing. And uh, thank you. Let's go on. Next slide. Peter, one of the disciples, is probably known for being impetuous, Peter. And Peter jumps in. And uh, we'll see this in a lot of the stories around this time. But this is the interaction that follows here. It's almost like a little bit interspersed in this story. Before Jesus explained uh, what the washing of the feet meant, there's this interaction with Peter. And Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you do not realise now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. And Peter says, no, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter, then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. He's all in. And Jesus says, no, those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. It's an unusual little bit in the middle of this pretty simple illustrative story, isn't it? And Jesus says, Peter, you don't need a bath again. And sure, you don't always get it right. And sure, you may have acted in selfish pride when you joined in on that conversation that was going on with the boys about who'd be the greatest. But you still belong to me, Peter. You just get your feet dirty while you're walking around in this world and you just need me to wash away that pride. You see, when a person puts their trust in Jesus, it's as if they get a a spiritual bath. Um, They come to Jesus and they allow him to wash them clean. Their sins are washed away and they're forgiven once for all. But in the course of our everyday life, it's like our our feet, if you like, get dirty and dusty. Perhaps we pick up some attitudes and actions um, that are incongruous with the life that Jesus has called us to live. But we don't need another bath. We just need our feet cleaned. We just need God's help and God's forgiveness in dealing with those unhelpful attitudes and actions. They need to be washed away. So Jesus sure knew how to deal with Peter's pride here, and he did it by washing his feet. Jesus showed his love through service. He showed his love by taking the part of a slave and serving those disciples he loved. When I was at uni, we used to have this um, Bible scholar come to our Christian Union meetings. His name was Leon Morris, and he was a legendary uh, Bible teacher. And I can can remember him coming and teaching us about John's Gospel. But he's written this beautiful, long book about John, uh, explaining it. And one of the things he says in that is that this action of Jesus in washing his disciples' feet was an action pregnant with meaning, the meaning of the cross that now loomed before Jesus. And so 
Jesus says to Peter, you don't realise now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Thanks, Nick. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call, I think there was a slide before that, wasn't there? Maybe not. Back one? No. No? Okay. When he'd finished washing their feet anyway, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he said, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. It's a pretty clear message, isn't it? If the Lord and teacher can do it for you, don't think that you're above doing a servant task like this for anyone else. Doesn't need an awful amount of explanation. But notice that Jesus says, I've set you an example that you should also do as I've done to you. See, if washing the feet is a particular example, thanks Nick, the wider principle becomes really clear when we move to the end of chapter 13. Thanks Nick. At the end of this chapter, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And that love is going to express itself in humble service. Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, sums this up so beautifully when he talks about Jesus, who being in very nature God. Now the disciples called him Lord and teacher. Paul goes and says this Jesus is in very nature God. He's God the Son, who being in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, took upon himself the form of a servant, became made in the likeness of sinful flesh, human flesh. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God's highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That's the love of Jesus. That's the servant love of Jesus, the servant love of Jesus for you and for me. As we think about what it means for us in the context of our alongside a series, what might it mean for you? What might it mean for me to serve one another? There's a myriad of opportunities within a church family to serve each other. It's what we're about. And I wonder as you think about who your alongsider might be, you may have one already. I'm sure there's people that you're walking with. What might it mean for you in 2021 to ask yourself, am I willing to be generous maybe with my time, uh, with my presence, to be fully present with someone else? Am I prepared to be attuned to their needs and their feelings so that I could ask questions and get answers? Questions like, is something wrong? How are you really feeling? Can I pray with you? How else can I help you? I wonder if we're willing to allow Jesus to be not just our teacher, but our Lord, and our master. You notice as you think about washing somebody's feet, you don't stand to wash somebody's feet, you, you kneel. And uh, humility and servanthood are prerequisites for us being used by God. And when we come on our knees, 
if not physically, but by our attitude, we say, if I can serve you, if I can have any help to you, let me know. I think then we might be absolutely surprised what God chooses to do through us. Thanks, Nick. Next, this. Jesus explained, there was a particular example and then there's the wider principle and then finally, thanks, Nick. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. What a challenge. We know a lot of stuff, don't we? The rubber hits the road when we, when we ask to put the stuff into practice. And we know that it's the right thing to serve uh, people around us because Jesus gave us an incredible example. And he says to his followers, now you know these things, you're going to be blessed if you do them. Just as I close, I want to share with you uh, something that uh, Tom Wright says at the end of his little commentary on this passage because I thought it was, it was beautiful. He says, at the end of, of uh, chapter 13 in verse 20, it says this, I tell you the truth, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. He says this, those who go in Jesus' name, who get on with whatever work he gives them to do, are given an, an enormous status and privilege. Anyone who welcomes them welcomes Jesus and thereby also welcomes the one who sent him. You probably won't realise it at the time. You'll be too busy thinking of the people you're working for and with. But as you look back, you may be startled by the joy of realising that as you walked into that house, that hospital, that place of pain or love or sorrow or hope, Jesus was walking in, wearing your skin, speaking in your tone of voice. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The guys are going to close today with a, a beautiful song. It's a song that says, you are my strength. You know, if we're going to live like Jesus, if we're going to be the alongside us that he calls us to be, we're going to need his strength every moment of every day. May God help each of us, not just to know, but to do. Thanks. Thanks.